The talk you're about to listen to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. All right, so tonight what we're going to do is I'm kicking off a series in the book of James. So if you want to grab a Bible, um, and do we have someone passing out Bibles tonight? Someone's raising their hand back there. And Tobin's running off to get some. So we, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have one. Um, every, every Thursday night, we like to be in a passage of Scripture. Um, and if you have it on your phone, that's great too. But we'd love for you to see um, what's going on. So we're, we're starting in James. Um, so just slip your hand up if you, if you want a Bible, need one. And these guys will get one to you. Um, James is a short book. It's almost all the way at the end of the Bible. So if you go to kind of Revelation and just go back to the beginning a little bit, a couple books, you'll find James. It's a short book. It's only five chapters long, um, but it's packed. It's so packed with tons of good things. And I want to tell you why tonight what I want to do is I want to walk through a passage in it, a chunk of it, but I want to tell you why we're going to spend... Uh, the next couple months, looking at the book of James. I'm going to give you three reasons. First is the book of James is written to a group of people who struggle with the same things that you and I struggle with. We'll unpack that a little bit. We deal with some of the same issues that they do. Second, this book calls us to our identity in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, this book was specifically written um, to help Christians really sink into their identity in Christ. And then the third thing we're going to look at tonight is the idea that what we do matters. James wrote this book because the things that we do actually matter in this world. What you do with your life, it actually matters. So that's what we're going to um, unpack tonight. Um, we're going to start off with verse 1, and then we're going to skip down, which is kind of odd, but that's what we're going to do. So the first verse says this. James starts off, James a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Now, this is a pretty typical uh, greeting uh, start of a letter in uh, this time period. It just tells you who the author is and who they're writing to. And so I want to take a little time. If we're going to spend, like, months reading this, who's the guy who wrote this, right? And who's he writing to before you jump in? So James is the brother of Jesus. So imagine for a second, if you have siblings, right? Imagine you had a sibling who was Jesus and what that would have been like growing up, right? Older brother Jesus, yeah. It's uh, probably kind of annoying to have Jesus as a brother, right? Why can't you be more like Jesus? Why don't you pick up your toys like Jesus? Why don't you obey me like Jesus, right? Like just knock it off already, you know? I could, I could just imagine, right? Because Jesus does everything right. Um, except that one time, you know, when they left Jerusalem and Jesus is left behind and the parents are actually a little pissed. They come back, they're like, what are you doing? Why'd you stay? I bet if I was James, I would have held on to that one. The one time parents were mad at Jesus. You may be perfect, but they were mad at you once, right? Um, what, what's interesting about James, right, growing up with Jesus, and actually the other siblings of, of Christ, when Jesus was on the earth, none of them really followed him or really bought into the things that he was doing. You kind of get the picture in, there's not a whole lot written, but the picture you get from the family 
his brothers and I don't know if he had sisters, but his siblings, is that the idea that you get is that they were kind of almost a little antagonistic. Hey, you're hanging out with this crowd. You need to be with your family, right? But what's interesting is James, there's something that happens in his life. We don't know what, and we don't know how or when, but James, who isn't really into all the things that Jesus is doing, when Jesus dies, raises from the grave, and the church starts to blow up, James, somewhere along the way, begins to follow his brother, Jesus, um, or half-brother. I don't know technically what that would be, right, because it's God's son, right? But he begins to follow Jesus and go in with both feet. And James becomes one of the prominent leaders, a very, very important figure. He is on one of the early church councils to make some major decisions about how Jews and Gentiles were going to interact with each other. He's a big, James becomes a big deal. So as James writes this book, here's a guy who at first wanted very little to do with what, it, with what his brother was up to. And then something happens and his whole life is changed. When you read this book, you, you recognize this James is very different from the one um, that was before. So that's James, brother of Jesus, who's telling it like it is. And then this, the, who's he writing to? It's the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Now, the 12 tribes is like old language. Um, the Jews were, were divided into 12 tribes, actually 13, but we won't talk about that. Um, there, but there's 12 tribes, and that number is meant to mean completeness, that there is completeness to the tribes. But now, um, everything has spilled out into not just Jewish people, but the whole world. And the 12 tribes is meant to be a throwback. True Israel isn't just the Jewish nation, it's everyone. And so this book is written not just to one specific church. It is written to all the churches. It is written broadly um, to the churches in that time period everywhere. So I want to skip down to um, verse 19. We're going to start there and do the, do the rest of the chapter. The reason I'm kind of skipping the first half, we're going to talk about it next week. The thing about this, this section I'm going to be reading or we're going to be looking at tonight is it's almost like the thumbnail sketch, the intro to the whole book. Um, and what I want to give you are some category things as we look at this book just to help us get our minds around it. Um, so if you wouldn't mind actually standing with me in honor of the word as I read this. Uh, so yeah, James 1, starting in verse 19, this is what the brother of Jesus says. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, 
and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You can go ahead and have a seat. Thanks for doing that. Um, so I also want to mention, as we're, as we're jumping in, there's a number up here on the screen. Um, if you have a question about anything I'm talking about, the passage we're looking at, or something off the wall about James, I may not know the answer, but we'd lo- I'd love to engage with you. So if there is something that you're curious about or want to know about, text that in, and I will attempt to answer it um, at the end. So I want to start um, by identifying that we are just like, uh, we deal with some of the same issues that this early church dealt with. And the, and the big thing that we need help with or that we struggle with is being a loving and caring community. As you read the book of James, you, be, you begin to notice this is a community that isn't encouraging to each other, but actually is kind of um, divisive and um, there's competition going on. Um, let me read verses nine, 19 and, um, and 20 again. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Does that not, doesn't our culture need that right now? Quick to hear, slow to speak. Um, because what you hear around you really is the encouragement to speak your truth, to get your, your voice out there, right? To, to, to make sure that you're heard. Um, so your cul- the culture around us is all geared, and there's something good about that, right? But there's also something negative. If we're all shouting, we're all getting our voice out there and not listening to each other, right? Not paying attention to what someone else is saying, that creates havoc. Um, little patience, right? Um, we live in a culture that has very little patience. We flip this around, right? We're, we're the opposite. We are quick to speak and we're slow to listen. We're the other way around. Um, you, might have, you might have seen Greta Thunberg, Berg, um, her quote, um, but I wanted to show you this just as an illustration. She spoke at a conference, and I don't know where you stand, and I'm not trying to make a political statement, but this quote, you've stolen my dreams and my childhood, um, was lifted out of context, and people were making all kinds of assumptions about what she meant about that and, and made all kinds of assessments about that. And this happens in our world all the time. Something, some soundbite gets lifted, and it's wrong. And when it's read out of context, it sounds, it sounds like it's saying one thing, but actually it's saying something completely different. They've left out a very important phrase that happens right after this, and you could totally reorient what is being said by that. And I'm not even going to tell you. You've got to go look up yourself, you know, what that is. Maybe you already know because you listened to her. And again, that's, that's our world today. You, we actually get afraid, and I know people who get afraid of even saying certain things because they, they're taken out of context, right? There's a certain sound bite. No, 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 that's not what I meant. Actually, could you listen to what I'm saying? You actually live in a culture where we are being, on some ways, nervous about being offensive, um, mainly because others are not quick to hear, right? We're quick to speak. It's quick to do those things. Um, we need to hear this, right? Not only that, he speaks about anger. Slow to anger because anger of man does not achieve righteousness. And that's kind of a weird phrase. Wait, what do you mean righteousness? That's like a churchy 
kind of word, but if you simplify it, being right, or um, if you think about it in a community setting, us being in right relationship with each other. Righteousness is all about living in right relationship with God, living with right relationship with each other. And what he's saying here is anger doesn't get you there. In fact, what does anger do in your relationships, right? If you leave a conversation and you're angry about someone, generally you're still talking to that person, only they're not there with you. They're in your head. Have you ever done this? You're, you're angry, and so you, in your mind, you're like, ah, maybe they'd say this, but I would tell them this. And then they'd say this thing, and I'd be like, oh, that's stupid because of this thing. Right? And all, you're like actually having an argument with someone who's not even arguing with you, but in your imagination you are. Um, anger, right, it produces divisiveness. Um, it, it produces competitiveness. Uh, it does not produce what God wants in a community does not produce, even if it's righteous anger, which is good for the moment, that's ultimately not going to produce right relationship. It has its place now and again, but we ought to be slow to anger. Notice, he, he doesn't say, like, there could be no anger. There could be no talking. It's just being slow to anger. Slow. And this is, these are things about God, too, right? God himself, his qualities, um, that he himself is slow to anger. And that's what we want. We want a community that actually listens to each other, um, that isn't driven by anger but cares for each other. And James is going to have a lot to say about this. Um, he's going to actually speak about loving each other in fairness, what it means to be in a community where um, there's no selfishness or jealousy, these things that tear communities apart. Uh, in the weeks to come, we're going to do that, which is so hard because we get so jealous, right, when someone gets a good grade in your class and, like, wrecks the curve. We just assume when someone's doing something well, that means I can't, you know, I'm not doing something well. Um, and we have a hard time sometimes celebrating with others. Their wins and the things that are going well for them, right? We often very quickly, like, what does that mean for me? They're getting married and I'm not married. Or they have a boyfriend-girlfriend and I don't have a boyfriend-girlfriend. Um, we quickly are we're prone to competition and that creates divisiveness. And James is going to have a lot to say about that. So that's the first reason. The second is that we are called into identity with Christ. I don't want to read uh, verses 21 through 25 again. Uh, he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Okay, so if you're studying James you will realize that people actually have a lot of problems with James. Christians have a lot of problems with James. So some people just avoid the book altogether because they've got problems with it. I've been in, Bible, I've been in a Bible study where people are like, ah, I don't, I don't like what James is, well, I don't like what James is doing. And the reason why is because James is active and he calls people to do. I want you not just to hear this thing, I want you to do this thing, right? And we, we struggle with that. He essentially says, you can't just talk the talk. You need to walk the walk. 
um, I want you to, to follow. And um, the reason that people get all kind of agitated is because people are trying to protect the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the message of James may just be too much out there in the doing to almost self-destruct the gospel. Martin Luther, who was like, he's like the superstar of Protestantism, right? He's the one who um, wrecked all the, all the bad corruption in, in the time period of selling indulgences and the Protestant church kind of breaking off, and he's like this hero. Do you know what he said about this epistle? He says that the book of James is the epistle of straw. To be straw is not a good thing. It's weak. It's terrible. He says, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. So Martin Luther, right, was like, I love the books of the Bible, but James, that's, B, that's a B-rated book. I don't like, he doesn't like it, right? He struggled with it and therefore also like demoted it in many ways. He does not consider, did not, he's not alive anymore, did not consider James to be on the same level as Romans and Galatians and the, go- and the gospel stories, right? He didn't know what to do with James. But he also, like, he throws in there, like, hey, if other people like it, that's cool. That's my paraphrase. But he that's, what he, that's what he did. He's like, oh, it's fine. If you like it, that's great. I just don't like that it doesn't have the gospel in it. Um, and I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as we read this, because uh, James is working from an entirely different framework than you might expect. And the reason this is so important, every religion actually... Um, Every religion has uh, something that it wants you to do, right? There's something, there's some active thing that you need to do, um, whether it's, you know, being one with the universe um, or, or doing the five pillars of Islam, that there's something wrong in the world, and for the, way to you, for the way for you to get right with the world again or to get right with God or to get right with the inner sense of who you are is you have to do X, Y, Z. You have to accomplish this, this, or this, right? If you are in one of the world religions that believes in God, it would be you have to do something with your sins. You have to somehow be able to absolve those, work your way out of those. All religions really um, have something that you need to do to make yourself right before you can approach God. Where Christianity is actually incredibly unique, it says you do nothing. For you to be right with God, what happened is that God himself lives the perfect life that you cannot live. There's nothing you can do to get rid of your sins, but he lives that perfect life and dies the death that you and I deserve, and then you get his righteousness, and that's it, right? You get it. You believe in Jesus, and he just grants you all his good works. So, think, you know, James, the brother of Jesus, right? All those annoying good things that he was doing, right? All of a sudden, they're all his. As if he had done all those things. And everything he had ever done wrong, Jesus bore that on the cross. That's the uniqueness of the story. And this is what people want to protect with the gospel. You see that? They want to protect the gospel. They want to, like, hold on to this. We don't want this to be lost. So what are we doing with a book that's telling you all these things you need to do, 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 right? Because James is pretty active. want you to do things. And that's what's important for us to, to see when we're coming into this. James is not telling us how you start a relationship with God. He's not telling you how you earn righteousness. None of those things. He's speaking specifically to believers, those who are already following him, 
and he's telling them, I want you to live out what you are. It's important, and I want you to live in the glory of all that there is there. Notice, even in this paragraph we just read, he says, putting aside all that remains of wickedness. Um, that idea that there's some remaining, that your ultimate wickedness has been dealt with in its main, in its core. When, he, when, when the disciples were sitting around and Jesus says, um, I want to wash your feet, right? Peter's like, oh, I want you to wash all of me, right? He's all excited. I'm like, bathe me, bathe all of me, not just my feet. And Jesus is like, are you kidding? Like, no, I'll just do your feet, right? You don't need to. You are already cleansed, but in daily walking, your feet still get dirty, right? All that remains, he's coming from a position of wickedness has already been dealt with, but now put that aside and live in this new life that you have. And he also says, receive the word implanted. It's past tense. Something has happened. When you become a believer, something happens inside of you. A thing is implanted that will begin to grow and work its way out of your life. He's speaking to those who have already received the message, the light, the good news, the fact that Jesus did everything for them. It's inside them. So he's saying, put off that old stuff. Live this new life that you already have. Let the word already grow inside of you. Ultimately, he calls you, if you are a follower of Jesus, he calls you to live what you are. He calls you to live who you are in Christ. James, oh, what he does is he likens it to a mirror. What do we do with mirrors? What do you use a mirror for? You can just shout that out. You use specific examples. What do you do? Putting makeup on. All right, Michael, thank you. Put on makeup. What else? Fix your hair. Yeah. Floss your teeth. Does anyone stare into a mirror and talk to themselves? I've done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mirrors, right? They're about looking at you. I was in a, um, we were, it was like a couple of minutes before staff meeting, and I had pulled, go ahead and pull out your phone, by the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this. Um, and open up your camera, right? These actually are mirrors, right? Turn on your camera, your, your front-facing camera, so you can look at yourself. Um, I, was, I was in a meeting, and I was trying to see if I had any boogers hanging up out of my nose, slyly, right? And I was turning on my phone to, like, you know, do that inconspicuously. And you might, if anyone knows Kristen Momeyer, this, she, from across the room, I don't know how she ferreted this out. She's like, are you looking up your nose? And I'm like, what? How do you know? How could you know that? So she called me out. It's totally true. But go ahead and um, pull out the camera and look at yourself, if you can, in this dimly lit room. Look at yourself and ask yourself this question. Who am I? Not out loud, but think about it. Who am I? Who am I? Right? Now, some of you may have already contemplated that. You can put your phones away. I've already contemplated the idea of who, who, what is my identity? At my core, what kind of person am I? Um, or maybe you even thought, like, if there was a twin of me, would I hang around me? Uh, I don't think I'd hang around me. <laughs> I just, I think I'd annoy myself way too much. But, but thinking about who am I, what he says is, 
if you don't live out, right? Uh, he, he likens someone who looks at himself in the mirror, right? And once he goes away, he forgets who he is. It's an identity issue that James is talking about. Someone who's looked in the mirror and forgotten who he is. And that's ludicrous, right? To look in a mirror, recognize who you are, and then not to live out of who I am as a person, to kind of forget. But the mirror in this is a metaphor, right? He's actually not talking about a mirror because you can't look at a mirror to discover who you are, right? You can look at a mirror to see who, what your physical features are. You can see whether there are boogies up your nose, whether your hair's done right or not. You can do that, but you cannot look into a mirror and see who you are. But what he says you can look into the law, the perfect law, the law of liberty, which might be just weird. It's like, what? Looking at to, into the law? What does he mean by that? What in the world could he possibly mean? Um, this is linked to the word implanted. So there's a word that's been implanted. It's called the perfect law. It's called the law of liberty. And if you look at it intently and you abide by it, you will be living out of who you are. What is the law of liberty? It is freedom. It's absolute freedom in Christ. It's that good news story of Jesus. The fact that he came and he died and he, and he gave himself for you. Um, and all of that, right? All of that, abiding by it, living in it, and seeing yourself in the story of Jesus, the Bible itself, it, the story of redemption, what he's done for you, all of that, when we look at that intently, what we see is not just who God is, but we see what he's done for us, and then ultimately we see who we are in Christ, what God has created us to be. It's all identity stuff. All of it pointing to and leading to our sonship in him, that he did that for us, which is very different. Like some of you maybe um, aren't that interested in reading your Bible and feel like it has very little relevance, right? And if, you're, and if you look at the Bible as a book of, like, morality, hey, the things I should do, the things I shouldn't do, that that's basically what the Bible is, well, when you look at it, it's kind of demotivating, and it's not that, yeah, you're not that encouraged to read it, but if you look at it to see who you are, for it to reveal your identity, what God has done for you, then it's actually inspiring to read it. Um, to look at it and say, what does God want me to see? As we explore um, the story of redemption that's, that's in that. For seniors that are hanging out with us Wednesday night, um, we get to do this every week. We're looking at the Old Testament again and again, and there's something so fun about seeing the gospel story of Jesus written thousands of years before Jesus even shows up, and you see the story there. And it, it, there are times when I'm holding back tears because the story just captures my heart of what God has done for me and the freedom that he's bought for me. That is, that is what James is talking about. That is the word implanted, the, the idea that the Holy Spirit himself is in us and slowly revealing to us who we are through the words of the Bible. That's why, honestly, you shouldn't read the Bible just because, you know, oh, I, I need to or I ought to or someone says I should. God doesn't care about your reading program. The reason he wants you to read your Bible and to live by it is because it will draw you more and more to who you were meant to be. 
into freedom, into goodness. He's doing it, and he's telling you to do it, and he's encouraging you to do it because you will not, you will not experience more freedom, liberty, love, joy than if you discover who you are through reading the word um, and experiencing his redemption through it. So all of that to say, when we read James, he's going to tell us a lot of do-do-do things. A lot of what that comes from is he wants us to live in integrity and wholeness with who we are. The idea is he wants us to become, and this is so weird, he wants you to become what you already are. Isn't that bizarre? In Christ, there's so many amazing things true about you. And what he's calling you to, you know, want you to become what you already are. Um, okay, so then the third thing, the third section of this is the last uh, paragraph, verse 26 through 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Ultimately, what James wants, wants us to see um, is what we believe in is not just something to believe in, but there's an integrity that he wants us to externally live that out. And the two things he says here, this is what God cares about, right? If you want to know what he cares about or what pure religion looks like, it's caring for orphans and widows, which that's not something that's readily available in our lives, um, but orphans and widows. And those are, catch, that's a catchphrase, anyone who is marginalized, anyone who would be isolated in society, needy, um, who would need help. So essentially... If you are in right relationship with God, what that looks like is you impacting the world in incredibly positive ways and doing things that look unorthodox and selfless for others. So it's caring for orphans and widows. But the second thing is to keep oneself unstained by the world. That there's actually a massive conflict between the world you live in and that it has the potential to make you unclean. And James uses the, the words unclean or filthy um, versus being clean. He uses those as metaphors um, for being right with God and, and living in that. Um, the world can still have an impact on us, and he calls, he calls for that. I want to show a clip from Enchanted, but we had trouble. I may not be able to actually show this. We're going to try this. It may be terrible, um, but we... The iTunes has some licensing problems. We couldn't get the actual clip to work. So if this doesn't work, I'm just warning you in case your hopes are up for watching a part of Enchanted. Um, but this, in the movie, there's the Princess Giselle, who is from Andalasia, in, which is a cartoon world. We've got like a Space Jam thing going on, right? Where she, in this cartoon world, it starts off in this cartoon world, enters into our world, essentially. And... Um, and there's something so beautiful about what's depicted, but we're going to try. We get to try that out? Awesome. This is the best we could do. Excuse me, I'm going to check the first. I have a known driver's license. I know passport. I can't even find this. 
Yeah, sorry for the quality of that, but I think you get the idea, right? There is, well, first of all, who would want to be friends with Giselle? Okay, who would be like, no, I do not want to be, yeah, it would be so awkward, right? I'd be like, can you turn that down, please? That's just too much, right? Because she's so over the top and cheesy, and she's like dancing around, right? Everything is, is happy, right? So she comes from this fantasy world, and she looks at the real world, what he calls reality, right? And what's so incredible is when you see her interact with the world, there's two things that are very true about Giselle. One is her insane optimism, right? And everything is over-the-top happy. She sees, what she sees is more beauty than other people can see. When she comes over, she's like, your hair is so pretty. She has to, like, say it, right? So amazing. The scene opens. She's, like, staring at, like, the fish, and she's just, ah, these fish are amazing, right? They're, she sees beauty in the world on a deeper level, right? She sees that, and it inspires, right? It brightens up that woman's day when she, you know, when she's like, oh, yeah, my hair is, my hair is pretty. I love hearing that. But the, on the other side, she also feels intense pain when something's broken, when something is, is, is wrecked. She actually has no category for it, right? Because I don't know if you noticed, but he uses the word divorce, and she has no idea what divorce is. It's not until he says separated that she's like, oh, forever and ever? Like she can't fathom how horrible and terrible that is. And the reason I want to show you that clip is because that clip is actually as cheesy as it is and how like weird it might be or, or fantastical, it actually is a great depiction of what Christianity ought to look like. 
that is what a Christian should look like. Maybe not in a dress dancing around. Um, I do believe heaven is kind of like a musical. Um, I think we will be singing our lives. That's for another time. But I really do think there's, there's something about that. But Christians, right, are the ones who can walk around and see the true beauty of God, um, the true beauty that he created in this world, the dignity of every human life in nature itself and what he's designed it to be, that there is something so amazing that we ought to seek to care for it, to, in, to live in the inspiration of it, and to speak to one another as if and, and in the reality of the beauty of every individual and see the glory of it, as she does. In the same time, also experiencing and feeling the depths of pain. We've been kind of jilted by it, right? Uh, that's why, like, I forget his name, but he's totally unfazed by divorce, by the wreckedness of the world. He just is like, it's reality. And the, and the answer is you and I have lived in the reality long enough that we aren't even phased by it anymore. Uh, just yesterday, I was sitting in a restaurant downtown and heard a guy telling story after story about how he was smashing girls and his weekends and the number of women that he, and I couldn't believe, first of all, that I was hearing it because it was broadcasted to everyone in the restaurant. And I just couldn't believe, for me, he was, he was kind of bragging, but for me, I just saw the wreckage, wreck after wreck wreck and I was distraught. I was distraught. I had to leave. It's like I can only take so much of this. Not just his own life and where he was leading it, but also the trail of women that were being left behind. Um, but ultimately there's a repulsion between the two worlds, right? She's from Andalasia and it doesn't she doesn't fit in the world. And that's actually very true. That's really good. There's a natural repulsion between a Christian and the world that we live in. And when I say world, I don't mean like the natural created world. The Bible uses the word world, and we'll see this later in James. He uses it in its natural sinful condition. Um, the fact that it's pointed away from God and has a tendency to point us away from God. And so there's an incom incompatibility, right? The world finds Giselle too happy, too loving, too hopeful, too innocent. It's just too much, right? And that's what it means for you to be unstained by the world, to be innocent, to be able to bring hope and love to people around you, to make people light up, to be a light in a way that's incredible to the world around you. And Giselle wants to lit. Like she wants, um, the guy wants her to stop, right? And really she's an annoyance. She as well is like, this place is wretched. I don't want to live. I'd rather be in Andalasia, right? There should be a longing in the Christian to be somewhere else, that this is not home, that God will someday make this our home, but there is so much broken. There is a natural repulsion. And in James, what you're going to see is you can't be both. And he's going to make this very clear. You cannot live a Christian life and a worldly life. You can't do it. You must choose one or the other. Um, and this is a theme from the Psalms and the Proverbs is these two ways of living. You either live with and through God in blessedness, or you follow the world, which leads to all kinds of wretchedness, and you must choose. Um, I, I, whenever I read James, um, Katy Perry's Hot and Cold comes to mind, because I think it's honestly the best summation of the book, because you're hot, you're cold, you're yes, you're no, you're in, you're out, you're up, you're down, right? 
You're wrong when it's right. It's black and it's white. We fight. We break up. We kiss. We make up. You don't really want to stay, but you don't really want to go. You are trying to live by having this and having this. And James is going to be very clear. You cannot do. You can't do it. It will only wreck you. You live in one world and let that happen. So anyway, I'm a little over time, but that is the beginning of the book. Do we have any questions? We do have some questions, but we're out of time. Adam says we're over time. So if All you right. guys do have questions, make sure that you come up to Tom afterwards and yeah. ask them, and I'm sure he would love to answer them. So yeah. if you would mind praying us into worship. We'll do. Uh, yeah, if the worship team can come up. Yeah, I'm, I'm available afterwards. I'd love to field your questions. Um, sorry, I went a little over. Lord, we pray um, for, for you um, to come into our lives and break into our hearts in incredible ways. Lord, um, as we look at the book of James, as we see what he's written there, I pray that our hearts would be changed, that we would um, follow this incredible thing that you want us to, to um, be led in. Lord, we, um, we've received your word. There's something true about us that you want us to live out with integrity in the world. You draw us into wholeness and goodness. And so I pray that in the coming weeks, in the coming months, that we would be a community that encourages each other to live out all it means to be in you, that we would remind each other that we are in you, and there's so many good things about that. Lord, I pray that we'd be challenged to stay away from the draws of this world and to live in the goodness of all you are for us. Um, Lord, ultimately, we thank you that you're the one that made all this possible, that this life even possible, uh, to live with you according to you in richness and in goodness. We thank you that you're the one who did all that was necessary, and I pray that we would be able to live out all of that, um, not just for our own benefit, for the benefit of the world around us, that we would be a force of good um, and inspiration. So I pray that your spirit would do that. He's the only one who can. Amen. The talk you have just listened to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. Crew is a community where the gospel captures hearts, transforms lives, and launches men and women into a lifelong adventure with Jesus Christ. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. That's PennStateCRU.org. This talk is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial no Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. You are free to copy and distribute this talk to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.